Instead of a dry sermon, how many would vote that we'd have Jordan and Bill and Susan come back to the front? And... <laughs> We're in a summer series. We're, uh, I, I, love the, I love the title, and, and so every week you're going to hear it, that this come and see, so that we might go and tell. It comes from Easter morning, and some folks who were distraught, their world had collapsed, and they needed to say goodbye to their, to their teacher, their rabbi, their friend Jesus, who was taken and crucified, and they didn't have a chance to give a proper burial, and and life was done for them. And yet when they get there, the tomb is empty and there's a couple of angels and they invite the women to come and see. Come, come into the tomb, look where they laid him. and See, he's not here. Now go and tell others the good news. And uh, so that's what, that's what we're going to do. As we look at the gospel according to Matthew, and, and today the text is Jesus' ultimately, ultimate come and see. He's going to invite them to see something they will never forget. Now, after they experience this, he's going to tell them, and you can't tell anybody until after I, raise, I'm, I raise, am raised from the dead. And, and so what they're going to see, they will never forget. In fact, they were blindsided by this experience. Now, in 1972, I was on the uh, state runner-up <laughs> uh, football team at, at Waterson High School. And uh, we just were beginning our season, and we played the Lancaster Golden Gales. And they were always a, a tough team. And I was put on the field at the kickoff to not receive the ball and run, as you could tell. But I was in front of the folks who were to receive the ball, and it was my job to lead the wedge up the middle of the field, kind of a, a flying V, and I was the point person. I'm not sure why, but uh, maybe my good looks. Anyway... Um, so the kickoff, received, the, received it. I, I came to the middle of the field, and we formed the field, running up the field. And somebody got blocked. One of the Golden Gales got blocked into me. I never saw it coming. I was blindsided. It came from outside of my frame of reference, and it hit me so hard, it knocked me out. First kickoff of my senior year. <laughs> I was helped to the sidelines, the right sidelines, because I wasn't sure which sidelines was mine anymore. And it, the hit was so bad, it's why I wear glasses today. I did not wear glasses before that event. And uh, so it was a significant hit, and it explains a lot of things, right? <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that. To be blindsided means to be hit by something you didn't see coming and was so much out of the frame of reference that once you see it, once it hits you, you are never the same. And that's what happens in our text this morning to a few of Jesus' disciples. Peter, James, and John are invited on a trip up a mountain to be with Jesus 
and they're going to be blindsided by what they experience. And my prayer is that as we look at this story, as we unpack this, that you and I would be blindsided in some way by what we hear this morning, that we would be changed, that the Holy Spirit would use this story and blindside us to see Jesus in a different way. And if that's going to happen, we need to pray. So join me in a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. And we thank you for surprises. Surprise us this morning. May your Holy Spirit do what your Holy Spirit does so well. Take words that are written on a page and write them on our hearts in such a way that we're changed. If there would be anything that would hinder us hearing you, we pray that you would remove it. For we've come to sit at the feet of Jesus, to hear the words of Jesus, to leave here more like Jesus. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, I'm going to read the, uh, the story usually, and then we're going to go back and look at it. So hear God's word from Matthew. Now, this story is also in, um, in Luke and uh, Mark, and so we, we may look at parts of those, but hear how Matthew writes. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his faith Faith shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one, only Jesus. Now, one of the questions you would ask of the text, and certainly of Jesus, is where are the other folks? You have 12, why take a few, why didn't he take the whole group? Well, it's interesting because as you look at the life of Jesus, it seems that he invested in everyone he encountered. He invested in those that he called to follow him for three years, called the uh, disciples or the apostles. But it seems that there were three in the group that he mentored in a little different way. They were kind of a small group, but they were, I mean, the 12 were kind of Jesus' small group, but this was, well, it, it was a, a, a kind of different kind of mentoring, a little more personal, a little more one-on-one. -on -one. And it, it's like uh, one of the things that we have started this last year, and you've just heard whispers about, but it will be um, unveiled this fall, we are looking at an epic initiative. And uh, what an epic initiative is, is getting folks to be um, in one-on-one in -on -one or one-on-two called triads to get together and to experience the Christian faith together and life together on a different level, a deeper level 
than you'd get in a Sunday school class, than even that you would get in your small group, as, as good as small groups are, this is more of focusing on, um, on doing life and living faith together with just one or two other people. And, and it's called epic because epic means above and beyond. That's what the word means. So this is above and beyond a Sunday school or, or a, a, a small group. But if you take the word epic, it, it, it encourage e progress in Christ likeness epic e p i c encourage progress in Christ likeness and so you can do that in a very significant ways with a smaller group of people i believe this is jesus epic group this peter james and john and so he takes them up to experience something beyond what they would normally experience. They went up the mountain. In Matthew 17, verse 2, our text says he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So, so they get up to this mountain, and, and there's a metamorphosis. And that's actually part of the Greek word that's here for this word transfigured. And, and a metamorphosis, we know when it comes to a butterfly, goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly, there's an actual physical change that happens. It, it's not smoke and mirrors. It's not just on the surface. It's a total transformation from the inside out. And it, so it says, Jesus was transfigured before them. And, and so what would that look like? Well, he became dazzling bright, his face and his clothes. And, and Matthew says, as, as bright as the sun. And for any of us who've tried to look at the sun very long, I, you can't do it. It, it burns your eyes. You, you can't. It's so dazzling. Jesus According to the text, according to this experience, Jesus became, you couldn't even look at him. He was so dazzling. And his clothes, Mark tells us, became radiant, intensely white, that no one on earth could bleach them. It, he, he's trying to say, nothing here is man-made. This is beyond anything that anyone could do. This came from beyond humankind. And it wasn't that Jesus was hiding his, you know, it was like the glow worm that some of us had kid, at, with kids had at night that just kind of had this light glow and you could cover, put them under the covers and not find them. Jesus, not only did he transform, but his clothes as well beyond what anybody could ever do. So what happened? What in the world is going on here? Why was the curtain pulled back? Well, if you remember from Paul's writing to the Philippians, he tells us a little of Jesus' history and, and how Jesus got to be here in human form. And, and he writes this in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not 
count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He metamorphosed himself to nothingness, to humanness. He changed. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. So what the disciples experienced and what we read about in the Jesus stories of the gospel is we see a, 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 a God who is in the flesh, who became like us, who, according to the message, which is kind of a, a, a way to, to understand the scriptures, he moved into our neighborhood and became like us. Well, Jesus takes these folks up on a mountain and he transfigures back in a moment, to who he is. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, Jesus is the radiance, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So basically, what you have in this epic moment is you have Jesus revealing to this small group who he really is. It would be like taking off the mask of the Lone Ranger or for those... Batman, or, you know, where the identity is hidden and suddenly Jesus is seen for who he is. And then it gets better. Because as he's glorified, two people walk up to him, Moses and Elijah. Now, I'm not sure how we, anyone knew that they were Moses and Elijah. Maybe we wear name tags in heaven. I, I don't know. Maybe there was some introductions. Or maybe it's, maybe it's like, well, sure, that's Mo. <laughs> sure, I, I'd recognize him anywhere. I, because they've studied Moses and Elijah. These folks are the, the, the captains of the Old Testament people. I mean, Moses brought the law of God. And, and, and when Moses encountered God and the glory of God, it reflected in Moses. Now, there's a difference between reflecting God's glory and actually radiating God's glory. But Moses had to hide his face at times because he glowed when he was coming from the presence of God. That's the glory of God. But this is emanating for Jesus. So here's Moses, the one who brought the law that the whole system was built on. And then here's Elijah, who, is, who was the prophet of prophets in the Old Testament, the one who spoke forth the word of God. These two represented thousands of years of what God has been doing. And they are walking up to Jesus. 
And Jesus is glorified. You couldn't look upon the scene. The same glory that surrounded the, the angels on that first Christmas morning where they appeared and the glory of God shone around them. The same light that we will see one day in when all is put right by God in the book of Revelation. He says, I saw no temple in the city for the temple is the Lord uh, God Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the lamp and its lamp is the Lamb. The, the glory, the brightness of God will be why, how we see everything. And now Moses and Elijah appear with him. Verses 3 and in, uh, in, in chapter 17. And it says in Luke 9, 30, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. This is uh, from Luke's uh, rendition, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, so, you're, so Jesus is shining brightly and uh, Moses and Elijah walk up to him and the disciples are walk, watching this. What are they talking about? Well, it says from Luke that they talked about his departure. And if you would read this word departure in the original text, it is the word exodus. They're talking about Jesus' exodus. Now, Moses would know a lot about exodus. He was part of that first exodus where the people, God's people, were held captive uh, under Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And God sent Moses to free them to cross the Red Sea or the Reed Sea into the promised land. There was a exodus out of bondage and into the promised land. There Jesus is talking to, him, to them about his exodus, taking people out of bondage and into the promised land and what it was going to cost. I imagine what Jesus is doing here is that he's connecting the dots. He said, you know those things that my father had you share? Well, it was about me and what I'm about to do by going to the cross. And Moses, the law, it's going to draw people to see that they can't measure up and they need the grace of God. And I'm going to provide that grace through my death on the cross. I think he's explaining to them how thousands of years of what God is doing is now taking part in what Jesus is about to do on the cross. And then one of the gospels say, as Moses and Elijah begin to fade into the background, they're going back to wherever they came from, Peter jumps up. And it says in Matthew 17, And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's stay here. I never want to go back. This is the best trip ever. I remember years of taking high school folks to young life camps that were just designed to have kids have the best week of their life. 
And when we came to the end of the week and kids had made commitments to Christ and built relationships and it was a world that was unlike what it was like back home. I can't tell you how many kids said, I don't want to go back. I want to stay here. This has been the best week of my life. Back home, there are all kinds of things happening. Let's just stay here. And then this, and this caught me this week. He was still speaking. This is Peter. Hey, let's stay here. I'll build some homes. It'll be great. We'll have a swimming pool. It'll... As he was speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I love the fact. Peter's saying to Jesus, let's forget everything and just stay here. This is like heaven. Why would we want to be anywhere else? And God says, Peter, shut up. <laughs> That's a little stricter interpretation. But as he is speaking, God interrupts. Peter, shh. No. It's not about you. It's not about what you're saying. This is my beloved son. I love the fact that we have this on Father's Day. I love the fact that the clouds open up and God's buttons are popping over his son. You know, he does that two times in the scriptures. The first time is at Jesus' baptism. We're going to baptize little Eli at the second service. At Jesus' baptism, when he begins his ministry, the skies open up, spirit descends, Jesus comes out of the water and God says, this is my beloved son. It was the beginning of his ministry. So why now? Why here? Because from here, in the scriptures, Jesus heads to Jerusalem and his death. I am so proud of my son who's willing to leave heaven's throne to do Come here and minister, care, reveal who I am. And I am so proud that he's willing to give his life. So Peter, shut up. He's on a mission. He just talked to Moses and Elijah, connecting the dots for them. One day the dots will be connected for you. Listen to him. And it says the disciples hit the ground in fear. It's what you do in the presence of God. There's no other place to go but on your face. In the midst of the holiness of God. But don't miss the fact that Jesus invites them to get up. Because he's going to make it okay 
to be in the presence of a holy God. And one day he will introduce us to our Heavenly Father. And then they're warned. Don't, don't tell anybody what happened. What? We saw you glow. Moses and Elijah. God told us to shut up. We can't tell anybody. But it had a huge effect on him. Huge effect. Look what John writes in his first chapter of his gospel, chapter 1, 14 to 15. He talks about, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, in 14, our Christmas verse, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He writes about it in his first chapter. And Peter in 2 Peter, the first chapter, he writes to the church, to you and me, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. We were witnesses to his glory. Who wouldn't want to stay on the mountain? Who wouldn't want to stay where it's safe and affirming and and you rub shoulders with some of your greatest heroes and friends. Who wouldn't want to stay? I love the fact that when they got down to the bottom of the mountain, there was a commotion. And Matthew tells us, and when they came, there was a crowd. And a man, the crowd, came up to him and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Why could Jesus not stay on the mountain? Because there were hurting people in the valley. And he comes down and his disciples were just not doing a great job in their healing service. I would love to have been there watching the disciples. So you're a disciple of Jesus. A father brings his son. A father who loves his son comes to you with a few folks of your other disciples standing around and say, would you heal him? You look at each other and go, Anybody got the book? Anybody know what they're supposed to do? And he goes, I know. Jesus commanded healing. <clears throat> Be healed. Nothing. So another one steps up. Well, you know what? I, I saw Jesus spit on people. How about if we just spit on the kid? 
work for Jesus. <laughs> Nothing. Well, Jesus made mud pies when he spit. Maybe some mud. Somebody go get some mud. And I imagine they put mud on the child. I imagine that, remember the woman who was healed by the touch of their robe? They probably stood over him and go, Heal. Wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you do whatever you saw Jesus doing? Can you imagine after, you know, you got nine guys trying to heal and, and different ways trying to think, what will it take? And the son having the seizure and the father's heart is broken. And Jesus shows up. And the father says, if you can do anything, would you have compassion and help me, help us? And Jesus said, if you can. Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father, the child cried out and said, I believe, but you're going to have to help my unbelief. I love the love of this father who loved his son so much. He was willing to do whatever it took to have him healed, including having his own faith challenged on whether God could do that or not. And then he was blindsided by this one who healed his son and gave him back to his father. My prayer for us is that we would be blindsided by God's love for his son, Jesus. And blindsided for Jesus' love for us. And that the father would love us so much that he would send his son. That Jesus would not stay on the mountain or stay in heaven but come from those perfect environments because you and I have needs in the valley, hurts in our lives, struggles. And we don't know if we have the faith that it's going to make any difference. There's so much. Come and see. Jesus, who wants to show you who he is. Come and see Jesus, who doesn't stay in heaven, but leaves heaven's throne and humbles himself to give his life. Come and see that God uses us, even with faith that struggles, and answers prayers and makes a difference. Come and see. And then go and tell. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of calling you Father. We thank you for the way you loved your son and the way that you loved us. That you sent your son to give his life. We might have life. I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, may have heard about you, 
may have seen Jesus in his nice Jesus stories in the Bible, but never connected that there's something more to the story. Thank you that you left heaven to meet each of us face to face in our needs. Thank you for your love. The love of a father that will never end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.